DC Comics Chronicles, as always. I'm your host, Adam, and with me is my co-host, the Emerald Enthusiast himself, Donnie. Donnie, how's it going? Hey, what's up, comic book fans? It's the man whose ring runs on fanboy energy, the podcasting machine, the big nerd in green. It's the Emerald Enthusiast, here to talk to you about Underworld Unleashed. Yeah, it's kind of like a Halloween episode, because yes. that story has very Halloween-ish kind of characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, they, they, they kind of, the comic books in general are, are kind of like a celebration of Halloween all year round because people are running around in costumes, right? Right, um, yeah. The only difference is instead of asking for candy, most of the time they're punching criminals in the face, but <laughs> uh, same difference. Um, so, yeah, Underworld Unleashed is something that I've never read before. Uh, and the reason we're doing how did this episode come about? Because you had, you had, you had suggested this episode for a very specific reason. Ah, it was the Lantern cast, which we will send a shout out to them at the end of this episode. They basically dared somebody to do Underworld Unleashed. And I took them up on it because I like 90s comics. You know, that was kind of my rebirth because I became an adult and I finally had access to comic book stores. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not afraid of the 90s. I was born in it, molded by it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know why they didn't like this. I mean, look, is it the greatest story that I've ever read? No. Is it the worst story I've ever read? No. You know, it's it's solid, but it, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know why this... Apparently, this is not a well-liked story. No, not, not at all. A lot of people don't like this story. A lot of people don't like 90s comics in general, and I, I understand that. And at the end of this, we'll talk about what I think is valid here what i think is worthwhile and the few things that i think are mistakes so all right all right yeah so uh, here we are we're we're living up to that challenge <laughs> because uh at this podcast we uh, we uh, are not afraid of challenges mm-hmm. unless they involve some of those fear factor type crap oh no 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 you i'm don't. not eating no spiders or any crap like that <laughs> yeah. Look, no. Margot Robbie would have to consider to just leave her husband and marry me for me to even to even entertain any of that garbage. No. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk. But So if you can arrange no. that, give me a call. But otherwise, keep that crap. But if it involves comics, I'll, I'll give anything a shot. So I uh, want to make it clear here, though. We are covering the three main books, Underworld Unleashed 1, 2, and 3, as well as the specific tie-ins that were in the 25th anniversary edition that came out last year. Um, I, you know, I had a lot of these Underworld Unleashed books. I did not realize, though, that it was over 50 issues, actually. There are 50 issues available on DC Infinite, but I, it's my understanding that there are four more tie-ins. So it was extremely, like, company-wide. They had not only the crossover book, but they had some special one-shots, and then it crossed over into everything else. Yeah, so, yeah, so we, we we didn't want to keep you here for ten bigger, hours. It was a little bigger, but we kept it confined. Yeah, right. So awesome. So we'll where do you want to start? Uh, Underworld Unleashed, number one. Makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> 
So Underworld Unleashed, number one, it opens up with the rogues. They undertake a secret, unusual mission at the urging of Abracadabra. And we're talking about Boomerang, Captain Cold, Heatwave, Mirror Master, and Weather, Wither, Weather Wizard. So they there's not a lot of explanation given here, but they agree to strike at five targets across the United States. And there's some exposition here from... Um, there's some exposition here that says they always thought small and that's a good setup line for what we see later. So we also see that as this goes down, as these explosions happen, as they, each one of these targets go up, each rogue is consumed by this mysterious neon green fire. And so they're gone. They're off the table at this point. So, if you bought this hoping to see a story involving the rogues, well, you're not going to see them because they're gone yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. yeah. So. Without spoiling it, I mean, <laughs> can we really spoil a story that's over now 20 years old? Now 26 years old. I don't think yeah. so, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, somebody did the flash a favor. Right. <laughs> but if you bought it saying, oh, yay, Weather Wizard, eh, no. <laughs> so. Uh, he, he was so, uh, swept up with the wind. Right. <laughs> yeah, as Kermit said, he was going with the Schwinn. So. I, I, you know, I've been hanging around you a little too long with these puns. Ah, <laughs> uh, the dad joke humor. It'll come across the internet and infect you. So, yeah. All right, so back to the story. In the Justice League satellite, the League members take notes of these attacks, and they jump into action. Flash orders Blue Devil to call for backup as they leave him at the station. Blue Devil is the only one to realize there's a particular pattern here that he's seeing. And these attacks, they make a pentagram. Yeah. And he knows right away that this is some kind of supernatural slash. That's demonic. not a good sign. When you see a pentagram, yeah. run. Yes. Yes. Unless so, you're the Winchester boys. Yes. All right. <laughs> well, hey, they're, they're, my kids love that show, by the way. So, good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Obviously, you know, just in case anyone out there is listening to this with a very small child, there is a little bit of content here that, again, we're talking about supernatural things. Talking about actually some biblical concepts here, too. So be aware of what we're getting into here. It is just a story, but there may be some elements that are a little uneasy for some people. So, yeah, yeah there's your caveat. Yeah. Good warning. Right. So, but again, when it comes to, like, devil-type things, I would I would trust the guy in the devil suit to have some idea of what's going on. That makes sense. Nobody really, like, pays attention to him at first, so. I, interestingly enough, um... A couple things. I know that a fellow podcaster, Andy DiGenova of Holy Badcast, loves Blue Devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like. So, I, I likewise. I like the character. Yes. So shout out to Andy. I'm sure you re- you read this story. I don't know if you like it or not, but he's in it. So if you want your Blue Devil fix, you'll get it here. The other question I have, Donnie, is: Was Blue Devil a regular member of the league at this point? Because I wasn't reading Justice League at this point. I, I don't know exactly how many issues he was in, but in the 90s, yes, Blue Devil was around a lot with the Justice League. Okay, all right. And I believe maybe even Justice League International, too, but I have to go back and check where, exactly where he was. Blue Devil was a character who was popular in the 90s, was around a lot. So Okay, okay. So, yeah. 
So in Keystone City, the trickster is frustrated that all of his, basically his passion shenanigans have been small time tricks. And now he's on his own using these tricks just to make ends meet. He reads about the rogue's death and he grows depressed knowing that they never really got to be A-listers. They were always small time crooks. And the trickster decides that he wants to go after something big. Yeah. I mean, what kind of, I guess if you're a criminal, you're obsessed, you're upset with not meeting your goal of being a bigger criminal. It's Maybe a little so. weird to become the man. <laughs> I wish I was even, even better criminal than I, than I ended, I ended up being <laughs> like, I can imagine being upset that your friends are dead, but that, that, that seemed a little bit weird for me to wrap my head around. Well, I'm assuming that everybody gets to a certain age where they start thinking about legacy. And maybe that's what Trickster was doing here. Yeah, that, even though it's a negative legacy. Yeah. Even though it's a negative legacy, he still wanted to leave his mark somehow. And so that's yeah. that's what yeah, he that's, was thinking that's about. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. So at Bell Rev Penitentiary, a convict named Lou goes to the prison's chaplain. He complains about a guard named Finney who stole his Betty Grable calendar. And the man behind the desk agrees to help Lou out. He provides Lou with a shotgun and tells him that Finney will be in the turbine room at precisely midnight. Lou doesn't trust the chaplain, but he takes the gun, which is a massive, I think it's like a riot shotgun, like a really big shotgun here. Yeah. So after Lou leaves, we see that the chaplain is not on the up and up because he has the Betty Grable calendar and he act, like takes off his collar to kind of symbolize that that's not, you know, sort of regular, a regular part of his wardrobe. So He's not a priest, yeah. Right, right. So also at this point, we see several scenes where the Bell Reeve employees are being tempted with some kind of unusual circumstance that puts them out of place to stop a disaster, which is impending here. So we see that there's a lot of manipulation going on early. Yeah, it's funny because all this stuff with like the the guards and and the quote unquote uh, chaplain or priest mm -hmm. when he gives the, the when he exchanges the gun and tells him, okay, here's where so and so is going to be. That stuff feels like your stereotypical mafia story kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then in the pages before, we saw Blue Devil. <laughs> it's like right. the, the juxtaposition <laughs> of, hey, here's Blue Devil. Yeah. And here is looks like a random hit on some criminal happening. It's like all over the spectrum of, of you know, storytelling. Mm -hmm. But we see it's all part of a bigger plan because at midnight, Lou ventures down to the turbine room and guns down Finney. The gunfire sets off sparks that damage the turbines. Mm -hmm. So engineers race about trying to correct the situation. But again, we've got people who like one employee is off doing a drug deal. Another one's off committing adultery. Another one isn't at his house because he's out dealing with, I believe it was his son. And so this chain of events shuts down the power to Bell Reeve. Okay. And so a plethora of supervillains escape into the night, including ones like Copperhead and Deadshot. So, you know, again, I like the early scenes here that Mark Wade set up. What was your impression? Oh, yeah. I, I, it makes for, it, it definitely makes you, when you see something big like that happen, it makes you wonder where the story is going to go. 
So back in Keystone, the trickster allies himself with Rainbow Raider. And this trickster actually looks different here. And it's not, it's not a small appearance change. It's not just something that has no meaning. A lot of these characters here, they're going to be changed in this story in the year 1995. And Trickster looks very 90s at this point. Has the big, you know, jacket on with the huge collar and the huge ponytail. Looks different. And so, again, now, again, I like that. That was at a time when, again, I was frequenting comic shops a lot. And, um, I, again, I like those type of designs. And I realized that for a lot of people, they looked at these design changes and were like, eh, they're over the top. But there's a reason that DC did this. And we'll get to that at the end. Okay. Yeah. So Rainbow Raider shows him a long candle, uh, Trickster, I mean, with intricate carvings on the side. He tells Trickster that someone had it delivered to him, but he has no idea who, and he has no idea why. So before the evening ends, the Trickster pulls a switcheroo. Maybe be on. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Did they exist in 1995? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure. I don't <laughs> frequent them often. I just know who they are. Right. I, well, I until I got, a good place to insert shameless uh, right. There you go. Well, I, until I got married. I mean, I don't think I'd ever been in a Bed Bath & Beyond until I got married. So, Do they have comic book stuff in there? In Bed Bath & Beyond? Unfortunately, no. If they did, I'd go. <laughs> yeah, if they had Green Lantern stuff. Like I'd Green go. Lantern bedding, Superman yeah. bedding. It's Bed Bath & Beyond. Where's my Where's my Batman soap? I had it as a kid. I want Batman soap. You know, I want to a... smell like Gotham City. Actually, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going with that now? <laughs> no, there's a key and key and peel sketch where there's a, this character in a Superman. It's a bed that's made to look like the Fortress of Solitude. I, I sleep I, in that. I saw that and I was like, I want a bed that looks like the central power battery that like I could like open and just sleep in it like that. I'm not sure my wife would appreciate that, but I would. I would <laughs> anyway your wife would be like you're sleeping with the tree <laughs> in your in your green lantern room never mind wouldn't it be cool though, that's how you woke up like the battery would light up and start doing the oath i would love yeah. that oh yeah or gadgets or something you get up or you know <laughs> gadget is your alarm clock or kilowog oh time, oh, good time, to, no, time be, to get up poozas that'd be a get rough wake up circle. call that'd be a rough wake up call <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Get to work. If, if the if the uh, Star Sapphire could be my wake up call. Oh, okay, yeah. That's that's <laughs> what I want to wake up to. Specifically, Although, you know, the Blake Lively, you know. Yeah, well, Carol Ferris, though, you know, she's all business sometimes, so she may be like, I, get no, up. No, she lucked out in that movie. I tell you what, you may not like the movie, but you won that deal, sir. Uh, anyway, <laughs> go on, continue. <laughs> continue. Okay, so. Again, the trickster pulled a switcheroo. Instead of Rainbow Raider getting back the candle, he gets back a rubber chicken. So when the trickster lights the candle, he finds himself transported to a place where he's surrounded by other super criminals. Instantly, he's, bam, out of there, and he's in some mysterious place. Many of these criminals are also in possession of these, like, long green candles, including Cheetah, Riddler, Crazy Quilt, and Dr. Spectro. Now, I just got to do, a, do a, a side note. Okay. Anybody that's a Power Rangers fan will know that green candles are, are very important. It's, it's, 
it's tied with the or, the origin of the, in my opinion, the, the, the greatest Power Ranger of all time, the Green Ranger, uh, Tommy Oliver. So I just want to shout out any Power Ranger fans out there, thinking right. about candles, <laughs> there you go. Uh, right. So a demonic being known as Neron steps out and introduces himself. He takes credit for staging the Bell Rev breakout and for providing the villains with their respective candles. In exchange for their souls, Neron promises each one of them their heart's fondest desire. Some, however, have little desire to, you know, take Neron up on this, including Mongol. Mongol steps up to the plate, and Neron jobs him out like Brock Lesnar jobbing out Bill Mulkey. I mean, it's a beatdown. <laughs> and, uh, and then Neron actually absorbs Mongol's soul. So right away, we're getting the idea that Neron's So is Neron like the Undertaker? Actually, I, well, he has, and he, he seems like one of these, like, nigh-immortal beings. He's, like, kind of a parallel with the devil, so... Yeah. So Neron also has a council of big time villains. This is kind of his inner circle. So, you know, and. <laughs> Should we start singing Judas? <laughs> well, that's exactly where I'm at. But every time you come out, <laughs> what have I become? <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> so. Does he, he it, must have a list like Jericho, too. Yeah, I would, I would think so. Congratulations. So do I, Neron. You don't offer me a deal. We, I can make a deal. <laughs> and let's talk. The question is, before we get on with the book, I, I was thinking about, okay, if Neron came to me and said, you know, let's make a deal. Would I make a deal for one of my one or, or multiple multiverse wives list mm-hmm. that I actually know that I exist? Or... Would it be something leaf related? That's what my calendar would be. Where do I go with this deal? Right, but it's for your soul, though. I mean, we're talking eternity. That's that's a lot of time uh, for a Stanley Cup. Uh, listen, for the right <laughs> deal, we can. Okay. If the deal's sweet enough, we can talk. Oh, okay, all right. It's gonna so, be real sweet, though. Yeah, it's gonna be I'll, like I'll, a two for one. Like the Leafs win the cup for like the rest of my life until you know, you know, until I'm not, I'm no longer here. Plus one or two of my multiverse wives, and we're all living in the Playboy Mansion. You Something along those lines, you know? Right. Uh, it's going to be a, a real good package. But uh, I would hope. But see, here's the thing. You know how deals with the devil go. You think you're going to get everything you want, and then you yeah, step out of your house like up, uh, three, yeah, three days later, and you're hit by a bus. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to think about this real long and hard. <laughs> so anyway, back to the council, the inner council here, the inner circle, whatever. It was, uh, this was Cersei, Dr. Polaris, Abracadabra, Lex Luthor, and the Joker. And if there's, let me give you just a few reasons here why I think this story is worthwhile. A great scene in a story can be worth the, the purchase of the book or the trade paperback all unto itself. And a great line here, the trickster is observing, you know, the, 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 this council of Neron, and he says, good going, Neron. Pick a guy nobody wants to be in a room with. When villains want to scare each other, they tell Joker stories. What a great line. It really built up Joker as, a, as this insane, I mean, not that he needed building up, but right. it really shows you the perspective the other villains have on him. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. I liked how, like, you know, this guy's nuts. 
mm-hmm. and we don't want to be around them. And yeah, I really like that. Hey, I, I definitely like that, and that that comes into play later. You know, Joker can't be trusted. So the best is his reason. We'll get to it later, but his reasoning for making the deal. I made notes on. I, see, I love, that's another reason why I think this this series is worthwhile. It shows you how nuts he is. <laughs> it is, and I have a friend who Joker is his favorite character in all of comics, and he loves that moment so much. So, yeah. so Neron, who is obviously based on the actual man Emperor Nero, and the text even mentions Germantria, um, Germantria, a Jewish form of numerology where letters are substituted for letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Revelation 13, 18 says, This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. And so we see 666 here is represented for Neron, who is obviously a bad dude. At this point, you should know that we're dealing with the worst of the worst here. So, Yeah, we're dealing with the devil here. And Mm -hmm. uh, no, it's not Mephisto. Not, Imagine no, that different. crossover, Nero, uh, Neuron, and, and, and Mephisto. Mm-hmm. And, and there are several, like, you know, uh, devil-type, demon-type beings in the DC universe. And But for so this is, one... Is Neuron the actual devil, or is he just, like, an emissary of the devil or whatever? In this story in particular, he seems to... Uh, I think even at one point he calls himself, like, the king of hell. Okay. So he's kind of, a, and you actually see some other beings that he's he's more powerful than some of these other beings so who are like devils. Yes, yes. So um, now Neron's offer here is to upgrade the villains, and we see upgrading going on. Villains like Killer Moth and Blockbuster and Helgramite. So these are often not well-known villains, and they're villains that you know maybe a lot of kids or new readers in the '90s. Were, would be unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. And so this was a way of kind of bringing them back into the consciousness. So there's one more guest who arrives after receiving a special invitation, and that is, surprisingly, Blue Devil. Blue Devil steps out, and he has a conversation with Neron, and Blue Devil is also being tempted. It's not just the villains, it's the heroes, too. Yeah. So also want to make a, a point here. Um because I have some of the physical comics. If you read this on DC Infinite, there is a very weird situation. They could not replicate the specific shade of neon green that we see with uh, Neron, so they left it white. And that, in my opinion, is... And by the way, I love DC Infinite. I've had it for years now. Use it all the time. Read comics all the time. But it was really kind of jarring to see characters actually saying... There's the green flame, and the green flame was white. Okay, but <laughs> anyway, so just again, if you're reading this on DC Infinite, just color blindness is a thing, though. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was bizarre. So, it's, uh, all right. Everything, so everything is better in, unless you're the leaves. Aside from blue and white, which is my favorite color scheme, because those jerks wear it. But. Um, you see, my relationship with this team is very toxic. Anyway, uh, but aside from blue and white, um, green, everything is better in green. Right. Although I've got to say that I, I look at this, and that's one of my, you know, I don't know if it's a major, major criticism or not. When we're talking about flames and, you know, again, uh, like a, a story about the underworld, why not 
you know, red or orange, something that like you would instantly look at and say, okay, that that's hot. As opposed to this green color, especially when you have. Well, sir, I uh, challenge you on that. Megan Fox is not green. And I look oh. at her and say, she's hot. And by the way. Uh, I had no idea where you were going. I had no opportunity to do the listing, so I had to manufacture one. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. I did some gymnastics on that one. but there, <laughs> I was going to say, that was some major. That, that was like Carrie Strug. That's Olympic gymnastics. gymnastics. That's right. what that is. <laughs> okay, so we move on to Apocalypse Dark Uprising. So yeah. events on Apocalypse have attracted Neuron's notice. Following the events of New Gods number two, Darkseid's lieutenants are now locked in this struggle for control of the planet. Apocalypse is, you know, that's the end game. That's the prize here. So at this point in time, Darkseid is off the board. In fact, his lieutenants, the and this is Darkseid's elite, they all think that he's dead. Right. Okay. And when I say Darkseid's elite, we're talking about the side, Dr. Bedlam, Granny Goodness, Calabac. Tony Con. <laughs> there he is. Tony Conto. Just Kanto, Steppenwolf, and Viram Vundabar. Okay. So, yeah. This was, if you like just absolute chaos in a comic book, this, this comic is for you. I mean, we're talking about a planet full of war here. And it just goes on and on and on. So, right. Neron shows up here, too, tempting each one of the elite. It escalates into war with Apocalypse, the, the also the like the workers, the regular inhabitants of, of Apocalypse becoming bloodthirsty as well. Right. So the fighting actually ends up at Darkseid's palace. And after all this fighting happens, Darkseid seemingly shows up and everyone is petrified into stopping because they're like, oh, he's back. Yeah. But it's actually Decide in disguise. We actually see after he petrifies everybody, he kind of leaves. He transforms back into himself. So Neron tells Desaad that he and all of the elite are truly evil. They are accursed villains. And he's like, he's like now more so than ever. So when the devil tells you you're bad, that's a bad yeah, day I mean, all that's, around. That's a, <laughs> I guess that's a ringing endorsement if you're a villain, right? Well, but at the end, you know, the kind of the final panel is the side looking at it and kind of being, you know, maybe a little contemplative. Like, what, what is that? You know, am I really that bad that this, like, you know, demonic yeah. entity comes here and was like, oh, yeah, you're awful. Yeah. No, I got I to gotta just say, I think this story, this particular issue, crystallized something for me overall. And that is, I'm not really a fan of the new gods or those particular characters. Outside of Darkseid himself, mm -hmm. I've determined that I really don't care. <laughs> like, okay. It's like, eh, okay, you know, like, it was part of the story, but I was, like, just reading it because it was part of the, you know, part of the list that was in the, in the but it's like, I, I just, I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I, I unless it's Darkseid, I really can't get into these characters. And, and I know a lot of people like them. But I'm just not one of those people, but, you know. All right. Well, brace yourself for Green Lantern number seven then, because 
lot, a lot of these characters show up. But anyway. Yeah, so. but the, again, it depends in the context of what they're doing and, and who they're interacting with. Like, if there's another character that I like in the mix, so like Green Lantern, mm-hmm. Superman, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera, I can kind of tolerate them, but I would never, point being, I would never go out of my way to read a, like a just purely New Gods story. Okay. All right. So that's just my take. I know it's blasphemy to some, I'm sure, but it is what it is. Okay. Well, everyone is, is entitled to their opinions as long as yeah. you express it with um, respect for everyone. Yeah, I didn't say, notice, I didn't yeah. say if you like the New Gods, you're a fool. Yeah. Don't melt down like certain uh, segments of fans on Twitter. So Yeah, well, I didn't hashtag, you know, remove <laughs> the New Gods. Right. Uh, you know, uh, so it's just they're not my cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we move on to Underworld Unleashed issue number two. So yeah. Blue, Blue Devil agrees to accept a mission on behalf of Neron. He knows that making a deal with the devil is a poor decision. Now, that's an understatement, but he knows he's kind of playing with fire here. So, But Neron only asks him to destroy an abandoned power station. So Blue Devil thinks, eh, what could go wrong? It's important to note here, too, Blue Devil doesn't believe in the existence of a soul at this point, and that plays into this because he doesn't believe that there's anything beyond death, which is kind of a weird thing to believe, you know, in the DC universe, but he doesn't believe in the soul, so he doesn't think that there's anything that he's really giving up here. Sure. So, with no post-life consequences, he goes ahead with this, and it's not good. So Blue Devil scopes out the territory and makes certain that no innocent people will be harmed by what he's about to do. He strikes his trident into the ground and sends these rippling waves of energy, and they consume the power station. So I I really like the way that that opened up, this issue. Yeah, and I liked, you know, I'm not a a huge Blue Devil, Blue Blue Devil, I can't talk to this issue. Blue Devil enthusiast, um, but, you know, like, I'm not a super fan of the character. I like him just fine, but I'm not a super fan. We need to find the, the, someone named the Blue Devil enthusiast, so. Well, well, I think that'd be a good name for Andy from Holy Badcast if he was. Oh, yeah, not, yeah. Right? Because he, he loves, from what I understand, he loves Blue Devil. I, I do like Blue Devil, but, yeah. Uh, but, so, but it was good to get a little bit more info on him and his, his sort of supporting character, and then you find out what the deal he made was, and. Very interesting. So, meanwhile, back in the underworld, Neron sets a welcome table for his council. Of course, you know, Polaris and Cersei, the Joker, Lex Luthor. And, um, again, I want to say that a good moment makes a, can make or break a story, okay? And we talked about the Joker's deal earlier. So, I love this moment in the story where Cersei asked the Joker, what did you trade your soul for? And Joker says, Joker, who, by the way, are, is eating little cookies that, sh- that are shaped like Batman, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, are you ready? And he whips out a box of, ta-da, cigars. And she's like, you traded your soul for cigars? And he's like, they're Cubans. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, come on. That's hilarious. Okay, see, now, now you're going to need more than just Cubans to get my asshole. I just, <laughs> like, like, you know. So that, But I thought that was funny, just the randomness of it all. And when he said they're Cubans, I instantly thought of the Seinfeld episode. Remember when Kramer hired oh, a bunch of Dominicans to yes, make Cuban yes, cigars? Yes. That's the episode I thought, and I was laughing hysterically. Yeah. I also, and, and I also had a throwback. We're showing our age here. Uh, when Blue Devil made the deal, there was a there's an old movie I believe it was 1984 called Oh God You Devil, where this struggling rock star, you know, makes a deal with the devil for stardom. I believe his name was Bobby Shelton, and uh, George Burns played the devil and God in that movie. So anyway, that just that popped into my mind. That's a double, yeah, yeah. So again, but that moment with the Joker shows just how like insane and unpredictable he is and that that's what you yeah. want from the joker he's not supposed to make sense no you're not supposed to make any sense of his motivations whatsoever Absolutely. so neron finds the trickster kind of skulking in the shadows behind the others eventually neron leaves and the other villains torture the trickster they're convinced that he knows the source of neron's power so they interrogate him until the trickster reveals that he does know that Neron's power is contained in the soul jar. So the villains say, hey, why don't we all steal Neron's power for ourselves? Just split it five ways. What do you think of that scene? The fact that, you know, potentially Neron's power could come from a a jar. I'm like, okay. In my head, I had two competing thoughts. Is that the equivalent of the urn? <laughs> and the second thought was, mm, a jar. I want cookies. That was well, my... like, like the Batman cookies. So. Oh, I would have ate them with some milk. Are you kidding? <laughs> that would have been top, top tier snackage when I was four watching reruns of Batman 66. Mm-hmm. Sir. <laughs> Why didn't I have... Now, I want to go back retroactively and ask... Why were there no Batman cookies at that time? Uh, that's that's a good point. There were the WWE ice cream bars at that point. I, though, but I, I know that, and I I love right. those. But I, I accompanying, you know, adjacent Batman cookies for when I was watching the '66 show would have been perfect. Right. So meanwhile, you dropped the ball. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, whoever was in charge at the time. When I so, was four back in 87, you got the ball. <laughs> so meanwhile in St. Louis, the Flash races about putting out fires in the city. And this page is gorgeous, by the way. You see, like, like basically impressions of the Flash as he's putting out fire with, you know, water in a bucket. And that page is awesome. Yeah, Howard Porter is great at drawing the Flash. Yeah. So... Now, at this point, we see Neron starts to appear and tempt the heroes. So he appears before the Flash and makes him an offer. He says, in exchange for your soul, I'll grant your fondest desire, which is the return of your mentor, Barry To which I said, as soon as this happened, I'm like, spoiler alert, this happens 10 years later. Right. (laughs) And and so Iris appears and says, we are the Flash. (laughs) Oh, God. Then I would have said, no, no, no. You ain't getting my soul for that. 
I gave myself for her to never say that. To retroactively go back and get rid of that line from the history of, 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 of you know, quotations. Right. But, I I actually thought about you. As, as soon as I was seeing that scene, I was thinking about Iris appearing and saying... Uh, now, Donnie, just a side note. Just a side yeah. note, quick, real quick. Back at Fandom, mm-hmm. they had a segment of Candace Pando plays Iris on The Flash, the show. Yes. Being sort of the breaking news reporter. Mm-hmm. Which I thought and was I great. Gotta say, and I gotta say, one, thing, one of the things I loved about Fandom was that it actually proved that Candace Patton can play a reporter. Because mm-hmm. the Flash TV show never shows her doing any of that. Well, it's been a while. I mean, that's, that was that was a big storyline early on. But that, so that I was like, damn it, look at her. She can actually do it. Well done. Right. <laughs> if only she did it on the show. <laughs> so anyway, I like Candace, by the way. I like Iris on the show. Look, so I like, I'm listen, in the minority, I like though. Look, I uh, like Candace. I got nothing against Candace. She's on the list. <laughs> I just don't like the way she's written. It's simple as that. So anyway, back to the, the story here. Of course, Wally refuses and is like, absolutely not, and just kind of runs off. So later, and I love this scene too, by the way, Neron appears inside the Bat Cave, and he talks to Batman and makes him a similar offer. And the kind of not-quite-alive body of Jason Todd kind of shambles in and and Neron's like, hey, I'll erase one of your biggest mistakes here. I'll resurrect Jason Todd. And to which Bat- I also said, spoiler alert, they did this 10 years yeah, later exactly. too. <laughs> exactly. I, I Donnie, I kind of have a feeling that uh, as Mark Wade was pitching this particular issue, DC editorial was like, you know, Bringing back Barry Allen, that's a good idea. Let's follow that away. Yeah, let's, uh, Bringing uh, back yeah. Jason Todd, that's a good idea. Let's follow that away. Yeah. So um, Batman, of course, turns him down. You know, Batman, yeah. he was haunted by that loss in his past, but he's not, you know, it's Batman. He's not dumb. He knows yeah. better. So he turns down Neron. Neron appears next in Honolulu, where he approaches Superboy. He gives Superboy the chance of what he's always dreamed of. Why don't you become Superman? Kind of similar to what's going on right now. You know, different character, but... So, Superboy yeah. also turns down the offer. There are some heroes, however, who take Neron up on the offer. And that Hawkboy, the Ray, Triumph, and even the Spectre agree to exchange their eternal souls in exchange for their fondest wish, their deepest desires. So, yeah, that's I mean, inter- yeah, that's interesting that we see, again, heroes being tempted. I mean, aside from the aside from the the Spectre, all the ones that said yes were like C level characters, mm-hmm. C level heroes, right? And also, I just want to point out, if Neron was ever going to appear to me or the Devil or what have you. Mm-hmm. You better come looking like uh, uh, you better like shape shift into Alexa Bliss because that's the only way. That's the only way I'm talking to you. If you come there looking like Neron, I I'm, I'm just gonna walk away. I just point you yep. there. Right so conceal yourself wisely, my friend. If you want to even have the conversation. Well, I yeah, and well that that's another thing I'll, I'll just say briefly is it's not that the character like in a vacuum that the character had a bad look. I just thought it was a weird choice. To have Neron looking this way since he's supposed to represent. Yeah, he almost looks like heroic. It's like. Wait. Right. 
and he had on armor. And again, the, it wasn't a bad design. I'm not saying that I didn't like that. I, I just thought it was weird for like the type of character that they were but doing. But for the devil, the, you, you, who wants him wearing that? Right. Well, at the end, we see briefly, like there's one panel where they're like, oh, he, he that's his true form. And I was like, why didn't they use that throughout this? Rather than, you know, him supposedly, you know, being like this like beautiful armored up, you know, guy. So, But would anyway. you buy a McFarland toy? Of Neuron? Sure. There you go. That's why they've made him look like that. Well, that, yeah. But, I mean, I would, you know, I'd, I'd buy a toy of like, you know, Helgramite 2 or something like that. That's, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So we don't back. Have to twist your arm to buy an action figure, Doug. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that's not, uh, you know, that's that's a softball. They're just toss, tossing softballs there. I'll, you know, I'm going to swing every time. So, in California, the movie producer Marla Bloom flies across this remote bluff in hopes of capturing some stock footage. Now, this brings her helicopter close to the plant that Blue Devil destroyed. And because of the loss of power, she's unable to see it. And the helicopter collides with a transformer. And I don't mean Optimus Prime or Grimlock. And yeah. the helicopter explodes. And Blue Devil is watching like the aftermath of this on TV. He sees what he's done. He's, you know, he's obviously hurt. He's crying and he realizes the consequences of his actions. Yeah. And this is why making a deal with the devil never pans off. Right. Yeah, exactly. So just ask Peter Parker. But yeah, there yeah, there you go. That uh yeah, boy, well that that was a controversial story. <laughs> and, so, and the consequence was a a, a multiple year run of Dan Slot on the title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, moving on. I, I I don't know if Dan Slot's blocked me yet, but he probably will after that comment. But carry on. Well, <laughs> um, uh I actually I actually like Dan Slot. I have him on the uh, I know I like him. Show. I just don't like his Spider Man run. Mm. Like his so, core work is great, but yeah. Okay. So now we cut to New York where Neron appears and finds Green Lantern Kyle Rayner, and he's taking care of a crisis in Central Park. And Neron makes Kyle an offer. He was like, in exchange for your soul, I'll resurrect Alexandra DeWitt. And of course, again, another reason why I like the story. Anything involving Kyle and you know Kyle being attempted with that pivotal event in his I might have said story. yes to that. You might have said yes to that? If I was him, I might have said yes to that. Hmm. Well, that, but that's why Kyle's a hero. He sees, he even sees the yeah, refrigerator. My willpower would be, only, see, I wouldn't be a good Green Lantern because all you'd have to do is say, well, you can have a, any one of the, the multiverse wives you want. And I'd be like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> and by the way, again, if you're reading this on DC Infinite, it's very noticeable here that something's wrong because, like, when Neron appears, Kyle's, like, surrounded by this, what's supposed to be green energy, and he's like, oh, my gosh, a green flame, and it's not mine, only on DC Infinite. There's no color around him. It's white, <laughs> you know? Not so, a question. Yeah. Very noticeable. I didn't read it on DC Infinite, but, but is Kyle still green? Yes, because it's a different shade of green that they can't replicate digitally so like so the green you see, just make a, a different shade of green uh that's a very good question as opposed to white i mean like at least at least take that opportunity to do well i guess if they did red kyle saying that's a green flame wouldn't make sense but <laughs> it's not any worse than look at that white flame 
that I'm yeah. saying is green. Right, right, exactly. So it's it's very jarring. All people, Kyle should yeah. not make the mistake of here's green, here's white. It's like I'm wearing green, like I'm covered right. in yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So as you would expect, Neron is too much for Kyle. And he kind of curb stomps Kyle and tells him that the end game is that he's going to corrupt a very pure soul, even more pure than Kyle Rayner. And when he does that, then he'll control Earth. Right. And they keep referencing Superman. Mm-hmm. Because before that, when he was talking to Superboy, he's like, I'm going to corrupt a soul that's a lot like yours, and he's pointing to the S. And mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, he's talking about Superman. Right. And that turns out to be misdirection, though. So stay with us here. By the way, where was – can I ask 95? I wasn't reading steadily in 95. Where and was Superman? Now that you asked me that, I don't remember exactly where Superman was in 95. Um, because I know he had already been resurrected at that point. It wasn't part of the death of Superman. He was Superman. at home watching his tights, as the joke would say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure it would be easy to find. But I can't exactly remember where Superman was. At he, that point, Martha Kim was making a, a year supply. Oh, of that name. So yeah, so he was like, "Screw it, I'm not helping people out. It's pie time. Figure it out yourselves." <laughs> that would be me. Yeah. So back in the underworld, Luthor and Joker come up with a plan to pierce Neuron's soul jar and take the power. So they put they convince Polaris and Kadabra and Cersei to pull their mystic and scientific powers together, and they succeed in rupturing the container. But as soon as the container ruptures, they're all sucked into it. So they're taken off the board. See, here's where I was expecting, like, the purple mist of the Undertaker to kind of start coming <laughs> out of the book. Is like, like, where is it? Come on! This oh, is a seminal wrestling story back in the, <laughs> back in the 80s and 90s. Remember it? Oh, that would be good as an audio book. Yeah, that would have been, yeah. <laughs> Abracadabra. Somebody, oh, I, I, honestly, <laughs> I, I get why they wanted to have uh, the trickster be, like, near on second in command for a bit. But it really should have been Paul Bearer. With all this jar talk, <laughs> it should have been a facsimile of Paul Bearer. And if Daryl Banks was drawing this story, it probably would have been. Oh, that would have been awesome, yeah. Yeah, they could they could have put they could have put a um, trickster in a suit. Yeah, and yeah, just one. Oh yes, is all I was asking. For. I didn't even yeah. get one. So, but as we see here, this was actually a plan by Luthor and Joker to you know double cross the other three supervillains that we're talking about, and kind of you know again they're going to try to they double cross them, and so now they're the only ones left down there in the underworld. Sure. So, so. There's no one to challenge their power down there at this point. Now, the trickster is still around down there. He's keeping a safe distance, and he wanders off to kind of come up with his own plan of what to do. So, at the Justice League satellite, Flash and Green Lantern, Kyle, again at this point, Kyle, Wally being the Flash, they call in the reserves and tell them about their respective experiences with Neron. And Kyle even mentioned that Neron is after a pure soul, and the other heroes instantly think Superman. Right. So the Justice League, they then open a portal to the underworld to go after Neron. So I like the end of that issue, yeah. Doing that is just so easy. (laughs) Well, what was it? It was Blue Devil, like, combined with Kyle's ring. I can't exactly remember exactly how they did that. Yeah, it was a tight team effort. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, there you go. Exactly. Blue and green. Blue and green. That's right. So it's the new version of the NWO. <laughs> so next up, we have Batman Devil's Asylum. This was one of the one shots. So at Arkham Asylum, a patient named Crippen sits in his cell and he's talking to a wall. And so Jeremiah Arkham monitors the man, but he doesn't hear anyone speaking back to him. He just hears one side of the conversation. But Crippen is hearing this, like, you know, mysterious voice, and it's actually Neron. And he, the patient offers Neron his soul in exchange for some type of undisclosed power. Neron, however, needs Crippen to carry out a few tasks first. Right. So what do you think of that opening scene? It was very interesting, and, and most of the issue I was surprised. You know, Batman's on the cover, and he's he's surrounded by a lot of his villains that are incapacitated. And I was expecting something along those lines to play out in the book. It doesn't. It's a lot more focused on basically an evening at Arkham and the inner workings of what goes on in Arkham Asylum. Well, and I a would big, not want to work there. Uh, de- <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> I'd pick up Harley Quinzel, Harleen Quinzel after work, but I wouldn't work there. Well, you know, you, you talked about a perfume earlier. How about, you know, Essence of Arkham? Well, that's more like... Yeah, I'll pass on that. <laughs> so, Go back ahead. to the story. A short time later, we see a fight break out between the Riddler and another patient there who's convinced that he's Julius Caesar. And, of course, there's a big scrum, and... Lightning strikes and Bradbury, uh, uh, where where was I? Uh, one of the mans whose name is Bradbury, um, he's clinging to a weather vane. He's struck dead. The guards, they, they began to perform random spot checks, and they're trying to get the patients back in their cell, and Crippen escapes from this. And he does with a very admirable headbutt, by the way, to Jeremiah Arkham. Yeah. So, yeah, um, Junkyard Dog would have been proud here. So Indeed, yeah. So the other patients, they just kind of erupt into this riot. Crippen's able to sneak past the guards, and he goes into the kitchen. And he begins using his knowledge of poisons to make this cocktail, and he uses it to taint the hospital's cooking supplies. Eeh, yikes. So when it comes time to serve I'd dinner, imagine the meals are already crappy as it is. <laughs> I would think so, yeah. And then double that now with poisonous meals, and it's like, okay. So Arkham himself, he eats a tainted cookie and falls to the floor. Yeah. So not long after this, Batman arrives at Arkham, and he his intent is, to, of course, to stop Crippen. Crippen tells him that he will surrender the cure to the poison so long as Batman willingly murders at least one person. That's dark right there. Again, I thought that I thought that yeah, and it's like, overall story. You know, Batman's at least comic book Batman is not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but I like how Batman turned the tables on him. He says, "Oh, you're going to give me you're going to give me the the antidote mm-hmm. because I've just poisoned you with the with the with the with the same you know 
Right, exactly. Of course, Batman now thinks Crippen. Yeah. And, and it's revealed within the process of this that Neuron's goal was to corrupt Batman here. But Batman makes Crippen eat, eat, you know, eat some of the poison, and then Crippen has to use that poison to save himself. You can't fool Batman and Nero. That is your first mistake. Right. Yeah, uh, exactly. You're not going to win but, a battle of wit with Batman. And uh, the interesting thing for me is Batman was in full Tim Burton mode. Like he was you know, the black suit with the mm -hmm. yellow oval, mm -hmm. which I'm a fan of. So I have no problem with that. So Batman, again, at this point, he does have the cure because, again, the you know he was able to outsmart Crippen. And as he administers the, the antidote to the rest of the patients, we see that Crippen, though, is still, his soul is still damned for what he did. Yeah, as it should be. Hmm? There's no redeeming the guy like that. All right. So we move on now to, um, what was it called? Uh, Sentinel, uh, the Abyss. No, the Abyss Hell Sentinel. I forgot to include the yeah. title here. But this is actually one of my favorite. It's actually probably my favorite tie-in. Mine too, yeah. It, yeah, it, oh, it's really good. So, it's so good. Yeah. It's a story called Over Dark Evil. So now at this point, again, for people who are currently reading Alan Scott, at this point in time, we're not talking about the new 52 Alan Scott. We're talking about the... Earth to Alan Scott, who was married to Molly Maine. Right. And in this story, at this point in time, Molly is elderly. She's like 60, and Alan, he has regained his youth. Now, did and, that happen because of the, the story that we had read? Uh, yes, um, I believe, yeah. The, the one that we did, remember? Uh, the Jade stuff? That was the, that was the story, right? Uh, that, no, no, no. That was after you're you're talking about um, um, you're you're talking about Green Lantern Sentinel that came in 1998. This was something oh, so that else. was later. Okay, never mind. Yeah, that that was later on. So, but this story deals with the fact that Molly cannot deal with the fact that she's an old woman married to this like 20 something man. So she has one of the candles, and she takes Neron up on his deal, and. She sells her soul, and she becomes the villain again, Harlequin. Not Harley Quinn, Harlequin. Right. So yeah, a because... similar, yeah, a similar, aesthetically kind of similar to Harley Quinn, but but predating Harley Quinn. So Yes. Now, in this, when she becomes Harlequin, her soul is actually separated from her body. So her soul goes down to the underworld, but she's still there, like conscious and able to interact, but she's not, you know, she's basically, you know, uh, separated. Yeah, all the, the good salt parts part of her herself. Are yeah, right. Or so when, yeah, yeah. So when Sentinel finds out, he's determined to do all he can to free her soul from Neron. Yeah. So he enlists the help of some of the most like powerful, like occultic, you know, mystical characters: Zatanna, Phantom Stranger, Fate, and one of my favorite scenes in this is that Jim Corrigan is in this bar, like overrun by all these evil creatures, including supernatural roaches. And Zatanna goes in and spell casts, and I don't know if anybody like noticed this, but she the, the casting of the spells, when you read the words backwards, she's trying to kill these like roaches, 
and the 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 words are Black Flag, Roach Motel, and Raid. Right. But they're they're backwards, so they, they look like you know just some kind of like mystical nonsense. Yeah, but, it looks like gibberish. Right, exactly. But that again, it was. I don't a, know what gives me more trouble: reading Zatanna or reading Bizarro. Both are. Again, I, mean, I, I just thought that was hilarious, though, when I realized she was you know, killing roaches with a spell called Black Flag. I mean, come on, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. She even, uh, she even had a, a comment. She's like, uh, she she flirted with Alan uh, briefly, Zutana there. Mm-hmm, yeah. So you're off for a, a you know, 60-something-year-old man. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So they move on from Teneric's bar and they travel down to the underworld where they, they confront a host of villains, including Neron and Blackbriar, Blackbriar Thorn, uh, Blaze, Satanus, and even the, the Spectre at this point and the Demon. Uh, the Spectre, again, we mentioned early on, he's been tricked into serving Neron and he struggles between his commitment to God and his recent deal with Neron. So obviously, I mean, they pulled it. So you're screwed directions. when you've not when you're yeah. working for God and the devil. Yeah, I mean that's a conflict of interest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd be like working for for McDonald's from you know uh, eight a.m. to uh, four p.m. and then from four to you know God knows when you go work at Wendy's. <laughs> Wendy's yeah. or Burger King. <laughs> yeah. Can't so do that. You're, you're torn between. Uh, you're like Ronald, you're like Rick Rude showing up on on Monday Night Raw. And at the same time, showing up on Nitro. You can't do that. Hey, no, that that happened, though, remember? Rick Rude. Yeah, that's what I mentioned. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. There you go. See, that, that's why we do this podcast. We're on the same wavelength. So, basically, what we've, what we've confirmed is that uh, uh, the Spectre is the Rick Rude of, of comic book characters. That, uh, there we go. That's And I'll always, I'm always going to think about him being the Rick Rude now. So. Next time he's in a book, you're going to be thinking about Rick Rude. <laughs> Can you imagine the Spectre coming out and, you know, doing the the, you know, the Rick Rude, you know, the dun dun Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to the actual story here. <laughs> so Satanus torments Zatanna by making her fight like this zombified version of her father Zatara. Blaze and the demon keep the others at bay while Blackbriar Thorn uses wood from the converted souls of the dam to crucify Sentinel. That was some really hard imagery to see. That was, yeah, that was not for the faint of heart. No, so, yeah, Neron enters and announces that Molly was merely bait to lure the soul of Alan Scott to him. He wants the soul of Alan Scott. Right. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, you're talking about one of the most noble characters in DC Comics history. It's so it would make sense. Yeah, Neron would want that. Want that. So. So now we go to another one shot called Patterns of Fear. Neron offers to give Oracle her legs back and her and superpowers if she will become his personal librarian. And Barbara, of course, she's she's tempted because she's in a wheelchair. Ultimately, she refuses. Now. This is actually, I'm not saying that it's not a well-written issue, but I think the the intent here was just to give you biographies of a lot of the villains here. Yeah, it's basically, you know what it is? It's the equivalent of, remember the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Yes. Remember a couple of times a year they used to do that clip show? Right, 
Right. That's essentially what this is. And and remember, this is a this is a time, 1995, before there were a lot of like you know the internet message boards and you know fan groups. Those were kind of a new thing. Not everybody had easy access to right. you know old biographies of villains. This yeah. is a way to like put out a new issue and say, oh by the way, here are these other characters. If you're interested in those, you might want to read some of some I, more. I, I so. did love how, how though the little bit they did show of, of actual fresh material. I loved how strong-willed Barbara is. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that she didn't take that deal. Mm-hmm. See, because a lot of people complain that all, like nowadays, people complain of, oh, uh, Barbara can walk again. And, you know, for story dictated purposes, for Fear State, she's in the bad suit again. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you know, they yell at Tom King like he's the one that made the decision. He's using her now, uh, not Tom King. Damn it. Why do I keep confusing Tom that Taylor. Tom with the Tom I yeah. actually enjoy reading, which is Tom <laughs> Taylor? Right. Uh, Tom Taylor is using her in in the Nightwing book, right? And so they accuse mm-hmm. him of being an ableist. And it's like, look, first of all, that was a New Fifty Two decision, so it's not Tom Taylor's decision. Right. Right. Second of all. As a person with a disability, and I can and I can comment on this because look, here's the proof. I got one, so don't come yell at me and say I can't comment on this. And as a person, and I just threw it on the floor, uh, <laughs> which is opposite of when I'm watching a Leaf game and I want to throw it at my TV, but I don't because the TV was expensive. So anyway, as a person with a disability, I can say that the way they've handled Barbara Gordon's transition from Oracle and not having the use of her legs and being paralyzed to regaining that ability and, you know, having the option of being Batgirl again. I think they've done it well. I think they've done it respectfully. I have zero issue with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, yeah, so, that's fair. You know, the, the, these, these accusations of, oh, making her walk again is ableist and blah, blah. It's like, People are being angry just to be angry at this point. Well, you know, I, it, my two cents. She wasn't originally, uh, you know, a you know a character who couldn't walk, yeah. and yeah. so I would say if you created a character for the purpose of showing someone who was like you know in a wheelchair, and that was a big part of their development, no, you wouldn't want to see that character magically walk. But with Barbara, it was an injury, and eventually it makes and sense honestly, that she at some point would overcome that. Technology that could that could. Allow me the fortune of not having to use that cane. Would I take it? Absolutely. Like an Iron Man suit. How awesome would that be? Yeah. Or, or well, yeah. What are you, you want to give me an Iron Man suit? That'd be awesome. Imagine. <laughs> I'll be going around like, all right, who's who's gonna piss me off today? I'm gonna just repulse. You repulse today. I'd be like, Iron Man needs to punish her. All right. Oh my God. <laughs> but um, no. But you know, like, so I don't. I don't know that it's that it's offensive or, or or anything of that nature. You know, it just look. If suddenly all of a sudden Marvel says we're going to make Daredevil not blind anymore, just because that would be a little bit offensive because yeah. the character nobody wants that. Yeah, but yeah, no, but you know what I mean. 
there's different ways of doing it. And if they handled it like that, I'd get it. But yeah. they didn't. And, and Barbara was handled very well. So all this, all this whining, just stop it. Stop, stop complaining for complaining's sake. So again, another solid issue in this story. Now we move on to Underworld Unleashed number three and a story entitled Seduction of the Innocent. Now, that's a little bit of meta humor here from Mark Wade because anyone who knows comics history, Seduction of the Innocent is actually a book by a psychiatrist named Frederick Wortham who wrote this in 1954 and that eventually led to the Comics Code because his argument was that comic books had a negative effect on children and they were a leading cause of juvenile delinquency. What an idiot. If that was the case, I would have been on death row a long time ago. Because, yeah. I mean, as many comics of, as I've read, oh, I would have been the worst be, criminal be in the, the world. We'd be the world's greatest criminals. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I would have, you know, it would have been Bell Rev myself. So, Donnie, yeah. look how terrible this is. This comic reading experience has been for you. Look, look at all the damage you're causing with all those statues in the background. Yeah, look, look, at, look at what it does to adulthood. <laughs> Well, if, it's my understanding, actually, that towards the end of his life, he softened on a lot of those views, and he thought that, I believe he even showed up at a couple Comic-Cons later on in his life as kind of a way to kind of apologize, and he was not met with uh, a warm reception. Oh, I'm sure so, the yeah. tomatoes were, came flying in his <laughs> Look, when you, when you have a worse time at a Comic-Con than George Clooney, you've really screwed up. Right. <laughs> oh. So back to the issue here, Neron's power is continuing to grow and he has an, an expanding influence. He's starting to take control of the earth and the entire world appears to be like erupting in, you know, riots and violence. And so a regular Tuesday in 2021. Right. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. It's like watching the news. So yeah. Yeah. So the Justice League, they're able to pierce the barrier to the underworld, and they begin fighting Neron's, like, little demonic army down there. It's like all these, like, you know, green little troll-looking things. And they're convinced that Neron has captured Superman, and they try to navigate through this, like, circle of hell to find him. Right. Neron is actually sitting on the throne at this point, and Lord Satanus is kneeling before him. And Satanus acknowledges Neron's power. So again, obviously, Neron, one of the most powerful, yeah, maybe at this point, like the most powerful, you know, character right. in, in DC at this point, at least the most powerful villain. And Satanus offers up his own sister, Blaze, in exchange for leniency from Neron. So Blade, of course, I mean, Blaze, Blade. Blaze, she's outraged, and she's like, we might be able to overcome him together. Did but you not Blade? You. Yeah, I said Blade. I didn't mean to. I was going to say, where was he in this story? Because that would have been a great crossover. That would have been a heck of a crossover, yeah. So, so in a moment of defiance, Satanus remarks that there's a single word, and this is important, there's a single word that would be, if it were to be uttered in the underworld, it's a threat to Neron. So Neron just instantly destroys Satanus, and before he would have a chance to say that word. 
But the trickster, having stayed behind, Is that what Martha? Why is that? <laughs> By the way, that's the name of the the, the mother in um, Hotel Transylvania. When what? I went to see Venom last night, that was the first part of the the um, double feature. And every time they said that, my kids were like, "Oh my gosh, Dad!" <laughs> Did you do it every time? Every time. <laughs> I can't hear. I can't hear that. Why is that? Name? <laughs> <laughs> After a while, they're like, oh, come on, Dad. You know, we're all sitting, there. again, we're at a drive in, so we're all sitting in the car and they're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, anyway, Trickster at this point realizes that he thinks he has the key to beating Neron. So he's figured out the mystery here. So, back on Earth, the, the Justice League, the reserves conduct, you know, damage control in various cities that are being overwhelmed with violence. See Triumph and Gypsy and Mystic. They fight off gargoyles in Paris. Blue Beetle and Booster Gold try to help crowds that have been consumed um, consumed by this uh, overwhelming hunger in Montana. Damage and not the damage from not the recent one, the one we talked about actually on Emerald Echo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, damage and Green Arrow and Black Condor. They protect a National Guard armory. From civilian raids in San Francisco, we see the Sentinels of Magic. They fight off hordes of like these demonic uh, cultists and these various demonic entities. In Gotham City, major disaster causes a traffic jam, which gives an opportunity. They were fighting off cultists. Where were they the last three and a half when I had to endure <laughs> release the Snyder Cut for, for three and a half years? Yeah, exactly. We could have used them. Yeah. So anyway, that's going to hire them, put them on the payroll. Yeah. So that gives Gorilla Grodd and Blockbuster and Metallo the chance to hijack, hijack, hijack this truck that is carrying nuclear weapons. Now, Gorilla Grodd with nuclear weapons, that's not good. And at this point, Gorilla Grodd has actually had his intelligence restored by Neron. Yeah, Gorilla Grodd. I, I love Gorilla Grodd. He is one of the greatest villains because he's so um, versatile. You can do so he's much. He's got you know, that physical yeah. imposing, like imposing, but he's also yeah. like yeah, yeah, he'll, exactly. He'll, yeah, he'll beat you under the table with his mind, like you know. He'll, yeah, he'll, yeah. I really love the scene. I forget what issue it was where he um, he makes Superman see kryptonite, and so yeah. Superman's convinced that he see and that he's weakening, even though nothing's there. I just thought yeah. that's really cool. So, back in the underworld, the heroes continue to advance on against Nero's minions. Blue Devil is the first to reach him, and he threatens to gain his quote-unquote pound of flesh for the inadvertent death of Marla Bloom. Right. So Neron is able to turn Blue Devil's trident against him, and the resulting energy appears to destroy Blue Devil. It's this huge explosion, and you think Blue Devil is dead. Soon after, the heroes discover that Superman is actually not trapped there at all. Trickster begins to realize, and here's the big twist, that Superman was never the pure soul Neron was after. His true target was Shazam. Yeah. Hmm? So the evil influence of the underworld begins to overwhelm all the other heroes, and they start to fall prey to their darkest most base instincts. Right. Neron is actually able to then manipulate them into attacking Shazam. 
And that that act, I mean, that was a scary moment. I really like that they that they made Shazam the purest, uh, or you know, soul. Back then, they were actually allowed to call him Captain Marvel, at least in the in the context of yeah, he was he was still Captain, Captain Marvel at this point, yeah. But um, but you know, when it's revealed, you're like, oh yeah, that makes more sense because that, exactly that the makes soul total of a sense. child, the innocence of the ch- of the child aspect of it, right, is really. The, the key and, and yeah it makes a lot of sense which which comes into play here and I'm, and I'm going to talk about why i think that was such a good decision so however blue devil he's all he's not all dead he's only mostly dead and blue devil rises and he is now an actual devil before he's actually just a guy in a costume a guy who was tra- trapped in a costume now he's an actual devil he rises and starts to fight neuron again and Trickster, Trickster sneaks out and approaches Shazam, and he tells he tells him that Neron fears the magic word, and Shazam immediately knows what to do. So of course he says Shazam, and a powerful lightning bolt lightning bolt erupts, freeing the other heroes from Neron's influence. I like that scene a lot. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, really well well played. Also, it's so, worth noting, I say a magic word when the Leafs play. It's, well, not, what I can read, it's not what I can repeat. It's a four-letter four letter magic word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. but I just thought I'd point that out. Yeah. So, while the other heroes are, are battling Neuron, Trickster tells Shazam, he was like, if you offer up your soul in exchange for, if you offer up your soul, you can basically free the entire Earth. And so he does that. Shazam is like, okay, I will offer up my soul. I'll let you take my soul if you want it so bad, Neron. And, of course, Neron can't resist the deal. Yeah. Okay. But what happens? What? It, the deal is null and void because it's, it's made with the purest of intentions. Right. The deal is made to service the greater good as opposed to your own personal gain. Right, which is the, which is the which is the trick. Right, and and th- this is where I, again I see here I think a little bit of like a Christological parallel of okay, so the un- unblemished soul, you know, the soul that's without sin, sacrifices himself to free everyone else, and I think that's where Mark Wade was looking at that here. Obviously, not the same as a direct biblical parallel, but since we're talking yeah, about the devil, yeah, yeah, yeah. the devil and evil, you have this Christological character here, this parallel with Shazam of saying he's going to be the pure soul that gives us his soul up to save everyone else. Right. So again, I you know I liked how that story, how that like story point, yeah, that you know, was a good part of it. Yeah, came to a crescendo. Yes. So, what again? What was your what was your like evaluation of that? I, I, again, I thought it was, the way you you know you explained it there, I thought that was ingenious. It's you know it's like the, the, the sort of like the the Christ symbolism without mm-hmm. you know doing you know when when for example when filmmakers as, as, you know ascribe the, the Christ symbolism to Superman. Mm-hmm. They they go hard with the physical, you know, the the visual references. So like, you know, Superman returns, 
he's falling to the earth like this after he's been stabbed with kryptonite, right? Right. Man right. of Steel, he's falling to save the earth, and he's doing this for whatever reason before he turns around and fly and flies down. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, wait, wait, why? Like, why are you? It's like, right. oh, you know, it's like he's going down and he's he's relaxing on a beach and then all. Oh, oh. So, uh, so this was a way of doing it without being so. Look at this visual reference of the Jesus thing, where you know he's doing it, but without doing a a metaphorical crucifixion kind of right. thing, right? So yeah. I, I thought it was very ingenious, mm -hmm. and I love that that Shazam got the spotlight. You, you know, he wasn't he wasn't a major focus in every single issue, but when it mattered, he was top tier. And I, and I, Shazam is not one of my favorite characters, but I I really like the way that that worked out here. So again, I think there's a lot of validity here. This is not, you know, the awful story that you know sometimes we hear about. I I think there's I a lot to like. I just think Mark is a genius writer in general. Now again, I I do want to say I want to preface that by saying I haven't read every one of the tie-ins because again we're talking about fifty plus issues. But Hopefully again, I'll often get, yeah. yeah, but often tie-ins you can kind of. Pick and yeah. choose. Some of them are totally discardable. They really have nothing to do with anything. Yeah. So, but I'm not just talking about this event. I'm talking about a lot of events. Like I remember years ago in the Batman books, it was uh, remember when Scott Snyder was doing the de was it Death of the Family or yeah, I think it was Death of the Family, not Death in the Family. Right. You know, and there was one issue. I can't remember what issue it was, but they're like on the cover. It's like Death Death of the Family tie-in, and literally Joker is in one panel skulking around hiding in the corner and that was it and i'm like yeah doesn't tie into nothing what did i buy this <laughs> yeah. yeah there was there was, a, was there was a book a... i wasn't reading but i bought it because it said you know death of the family tie-in right right yeah and i thought oh this you should it's on the cover so it's gonna be important yeah and it would literally again it's joker doing this behind a wall listening to a conversation and i'm like yeah <laughs> I paid four bucks for this thing. Why? <laughs> One, there, there was a Titans book that was a Blackest Night tie-in, and literally all that happens is a Black Lantern shows up in the in the final panel. Yes, it's like, why? Well, again, so <laughs> what I mean is sometimes with these big events, there's a lot of tie-in issues that are just discardable. But the main, if you're just looking at even the main three issues of this story, I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah. Again, like I said, I I wasn't thrilled with Neron's appearance. Yeah. And he looks too again, super heroic. Yeah. It was you know it was you know a little weird. And uh, yeah. Let let me get back to the very end though. We actually see the trickster who's like, hmm, where do I go from here? Because I just did pull. You know, I did. Well, I was part of some huge event here, and kind of pondering maybe I'll be a hero now. Yeah, at least for a bit. Yeah. And then Major Disaster actually like sees his reflection in in a window, and there's the number six six six, you know, kind of you know that that is still that yeah. is visible yeah. on his forehead. So he realizes it's only a matter of time. Right. Yeah. And actually, the Rogues they come back. I believe it was after a year. They actually spent a year down there in the in the underworld before they were resurrected. Yeah, because now now they're back in play. Or somewhere out there so let me just say this too dc they did this story for a reason and 
you really kind of had to be there in the early 90s. They were losing the battle for readers back then. The early 90s, they were number three. Marvel had popular books with the Spider-Man titles. They had several of them. They had Venom. They also had, yeah, incredibly popular titles with the X-Men. DC, until they started doing events like The Broken Bat, Death of Superman, Superman, Emerald Twilight, their sales weren't good. And I actually remember a lot of readers my age back then saying things like, DC is your dad's title. You know, Image is, is, is our comics. DC is your dad's brand. They're your dad's flavor. Yeah. And they looked at a lot of these villains and saying that, you know, they're they're goofy, like Killer Moth. Do I want to read Killer Moth or do I want to read Violator? And so this was DC's way of trying to say, we're going to tweak our brand. We're going to try to freshen things up a little bit to appeal to a new generation of readers. Now, did it all work? No, it didn't all work. But there's a reason they did this. But how long did it? Yeah, but when it did work, it did work. Like, if you look at how long Kyle Rayner lasted as Green Lantern, mm-hmm. how long Wally West lasted and should have stayed the Flash, and now he's the Flash again. So, and again, I've got, I, 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 I like Barry, I like Barry a lot. But, you know, the 90s Flash is the first Flash thing I ever saw. In saying that, I love Wally. Right? Like if I had to choose which fly, you know, I choose Wally. I choose just like I like all the Green Lanterns to a degree. But if you're giving me a choice, I'd pick Kyle, right? So, mm-hmm. but in terms of people saying, you know, oh, image is our thing. Yeah, image now is really the most known for what one book, Spawn. Right. Yeah. Still to this day, Spawn is is carrying, you know, is carrying that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Image has a lot of good books. You create your own, but really, the, why he's synonymous in the public eye is Spawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well DC, as well as Walking a, Dead, but you, Walking DC, Dead was a multi-pronged attack. You got Batman, you got Superman, and now you got Wonder Woman as the top three. And I know people are like, "Oh, all DC cares about is Batman," but uh, give, give me a break. Yeah. Uh, why, why did I just read you know they spent half an hour on Milestone at Fandom which was great by the way um, um, uh, but and we got to cover more Milestone but yeah I don't think like, like I think this in the long run and that strategy I should say by DC worked because Look at where DC is right now. They're putting yeah. on some of the best books, period. Yeah. And see, this, what I meant to say is that at the time, DC really was trying to change some of their perception. Right. Because, again, they weren't looked at as edgy comics, and they were trying to lure in new readers with some. Sure. You know, they changed some of the villains, you know, their their power set, their looks, to try to say, okay, let's compete a little bit with Marvel and Image a little bit more. So there, there was even, I remember this, this was so hilarious. 1994, there was a commercial and it was a guy reading DC comics. And one of the things that they made a point was to say, Hey, this guy has a girlfriend. You see, you can read comics and have a girlfriend. 
<laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. <laughs> All right, so, DC, yeah. let's recreate. Look, here, DC, I'll do you a favor. I'm not an actor, but I'm a reader, and I got wrong boxes to prove it. I'll pull out one of my comics. You organize Margot Robbie and Gal Gadot. Let's all get together, <laughs> and we'll make that commercial again for a modern audience. How about that? Oh, okay. Well, that, you know, if you're going to dream, dream big. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I got nothing else to do. Uh, my other dream of the Leafs winning the cup doesn't look like it's coming to any time soon. Right. So let me let me shoot for something even bigger. Yeah. So anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to add before we rate this thing? No, I'll just say, you know, want to give a shout out to the Lantern cast, you know, Mark Marble um, and Chad Bokelman. I really, I'm a huge fan of the Lantern cast, but uh, you see this, this wasn't an unpleasant experience. If you wanted to torture me, you should have like dared me to watch, you know, some Lego something or like, you know, review the Super Pets. Then I would have struggled. Here's torture for me. And (laughs) it's, I mean, what's your best offer? But doing a doing a live commentary of Batman and Robin would be torture for me, and for Donnie to be well, I guess reading like multiple Nort issues in a row. <laughs> make your best offer, and we'll do both. <laughs> yeah, no, it would t- it would take a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah watch- that's what I'm saying. What do you got? Yeah, make yeah. an offer. <laughs> but yeah, so I just want to say yeah for anybody. Like I said, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, we should rate it first. What would you rate it on a scale of one to five? Well, are we doing art and story? Yeah, let's go ahead. That how we do it. All right. Yeah. So for story, I'm going to give it three and a half out of, out mm-hmm. of five. And for art, I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Actually, for story, I'm going to give it a four. For art, I'm going to give it a four point five because I thought a lot of the artists who worked on this. I thought they did a lot of like the creepy imagery really well. By the way, I love Howard Porter, and I think he's gotten better over the years, like even better. So his newer stuff is like, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all the news that is fit to print today. And uh, Joe, I just want to point out that no, Donnie is not wearing a blue lantern uh, <laughs> sweatshirt. He's, he's got the good, well, Good uh, sense in the sense that, that we're might both be overstating fans, it a little bit. Look, he's wearing a leaf jersey, and I'm wearing this hundred year commemorative sweatshirt because or, or sweater because it's cold, uh, or hoodie I should say, not sweater. Um, but um, but you know, he's got the good sense of being a leaf fan like me. Although I don't know if it's good sense because I was born into this fandom, you know, molded. <laughs> And he chose this torture. So the Lantern cast wants to know about torture. Watch the Leafs in their <laughs> most recent playoff runs. That's torture, my friends. Oh. Uh, at least for me. But yeah, uh, yeah no, this was a, this was a fun thing to do. Dealing with the DC universe and you know the devil around Halloween is a smart thing to do. It's you know it's very topical. I don't know that uh, it's a smart thing to do. That deal well, with the yeah, devil. I don't know. I mean, no, but it, uh, it, dealing with a story about why you shouldn't deal with the devil. No, but I'm, I'm saying <laughs> discussing material yeah, that yeah. involves DC and the devil around Halloween time is a smart thing to do. Yeah. 
And it was it was fun little diversion. Um, I think this yeah, is a I, great this is a great Halloween episode. So yeah. And so uh, and besides the books that I actually wanted to review for Halloween, and maybe I'll talk about to Donnie off the air about doing them after the fact, will probably be out the week of Halloween, and we won't have time to read them and then record a podcast and edit it and get it up for Halloween. So in the meantime, this will serve as our Halloween episode. So happy Halloween. Get all the candy you can and, and consume it safely. Um, don't eat it all at once. And if you're right. a kid listening to this, make sure your parent checks it. because Exactly. Yes. No, I mean, there could be the, 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 the guy in the, day, the Batman issue. Right. Could have uh, <laughs> yeah. some shenanigans. Yeah. So yeah. make sure your parents inspect it. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then go to town. But be, you know, be, be mindful because... You don't want to rot your teeth and then have to go to the dentist. It's a whole thing. Just, just be smart about it. Uh, happy Halloween, trick or treat, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, come back next time uh, and uh, tell your friends about the podcast, like it, subscribe. And if you want to tell us about what candies uh, you got or your kids got and what what costumes you saw that are DC related, and you want to do that on social media, you can. Donnie, where do they where do they track you down? You can find me on Twitter as the Emerald Enthusiast. Let's talk comics. Let's talk collectibles. Let's talk Green Lantern. By the way, if you like collectibles, you can also check out my YouTube channel. It's just Emerald Enthusiast, where I do lots of reviews of collectibles and comics. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you'd like to join my squad that is going to eventually steal all those collectibles, <laughs> you can hit me up uh, at Adam underscore Lee's fan on Twitter. Uh, we have the podcast. The, the podcast vidcast mm-hmm. network only account which is at mmnpdc on twitter and we have the facebook facebook i, I can't talk to you <laughs> which is listed somewhere in the description here click it i allowed you and we can continue and you know discussing there but until next time remember that here on is forever from the first tempted deal to the last so long everybody so long everyone <laughs>